Welcome to Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs looking to grow their business in a healthy, sustainable way. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and business advisor. Each week, you will learn actionable steps to streamline your processes, increase your profits, and make a bigger impact as a purpose-driven leader. Join me in conversations with CEOs and renegades in digital media, marketing, advertising, and design. Want to ignite your passion for business? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Get the Balance Right Podcast. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. If this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, well, thank you for joining the party. However, if you've listened before, then I'm excited to tell you about a new thing I'm introducing on the podcast. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. So for the last few months, I have been in the Thought Leader Academy, which is a group mentoring program that Carol Cox from Speaking Your Brand offers. The focus of the group is to create a signature speech and support the members to develop their own framework. My framework is a business framework built around the idea that business is like three hearts that beat as one. The framework was built around four Ps, passion, process, profit, and purpose. And each of these in my framework are represented by hearts. I know, cute, right? These hearts are like the lifeline of the business. It's what makes the whole thing run or beat, or whatever analogy you want to use. I've developed the framework into four more sections. Okay, it's getting a little complicated. Graphically, the extended framework looks like a uterus and ovaries. Yeah, you can check it out in the show notes. But the concept works no matter what body parts that you might have, so don't worry. My framework allows you to get to the core of your business's passion, It helps you tighten up your processes, increase your profits, and allows you the time, energy, and knowledge you need to lead a purpose-driven business. Can you guess what I'm calling this framework? It took me a while to figure this one out, but conjuring up my true Libra spirit, it's called Get the Balance Right. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that one out. Here's what we're going to do. Each week on the show, we will dive into the various aspects of the framework to give you actionable tips, which you can start implementing in your business each week. So my framework is here to serve you. You can view the framework by visiting my blog or clicking the links in the show note. On today's show, we are going to discuss value proposition. In regards to my framework, this is located in the center heart driven by the entrepreneur's passion. All right, so you might be wondering, what is a value proposition? Or you're like, I went to school, I studied marketing and advertising, I know all about value proposition, give me a break. But let's just make sure we're all on the same page. According to entrepreneurship.org, a value proposition defines the benefits your company's products and services offer to the customer. Okay, a different interpretation of that, slightly different, is from investopia.com. They claim a value proposition refers to a business or marketing statement that summarizes why a consumer should buy a product or use a service. For me personally, the value proposition is slightly different. 
I think it should be the ultimate reason why someone would buy what you're selling over anyone else. To me, it's where your brand identity converges with a product or service to create a unique offer. I feel it's one of the most important aspects of your business and therefore at the center of my framework, directly relating to the entrepreneur's passion. Let's reflect on value proposition for you. Thinking about your own products and services, what is your value proposition? What separates you from your competition? Why would someone want to purchase what you have to offer if they could find it cheaper somewhere else? A great way to develop your value proposition is to think about companies who do it best. One of my very favorite companies is Swatch. Yes, Swatch. Remember those? Now, granted, they are not as prevalent in the United States as they once were. But if you grew up in the 80s, you either had a Swatch or you wanted a Swatch. And if you had one, you either collected more or wanted more. For those who maybe are too young to remember the heyday of Swatch back before cell phones, we wore watches to tell time. I know, right? Back then, the Swiss company Swatch was born, and they turned utilitarian devices into affordable, fashionable timepieces. With their colorful bezels and straps, the Swatch became a symbol of the 80s, like the Rubik's Cube, jelly bracelets, and the Cabbage Patch dolls. The common assumption is that the company's name came from a combination of Swiss and watch, but it actually stands for second watch, Swatch, second watch. I know this piece of trivia because in one of my careers, I was a store manager for Swatch. It was a dream come true. Let me tell you, I was a longtime collector and super fan of Swatch. In fact, I wasn't alone in my craziness for Swatch. The globe is actually filled with people who love their products on a cult-like level. I believe that this devoted fan base lives on due to Swatch's value proposition. Although their watches have a patented design that you won't find anywhere else, I don't think that's their value proposition. I think their value proposition goes far beyond their unique fashion statement. I think their value proposition is more of an emotional state of mind. And this emotional state of mind is the core of Swatch. In fact, the company has a name for it. Swatch calls it Vibe. Now, if you've ever worked for Swatch, you would know all about the Vibe. The Vibe is ingrained in you if you work for Swatch. It's what made Swatch a blast to work for. The Vibe is actually intangible, but can be defined as fun, edgy, and whimsical, all wrapped into one thing that's also known as being Swatchy. Therefore, Swatch's value proposition isn't just a cool watch. It's a transformed state of mind. If you put on one of their watches, you step into that vibe. So no matter if the Swatch design is sporty, executive, glamorous, artsy, or minimal, what truly separates Swatch from their competition is their Swatchy vibe. Thinking about your products and services, how does this relate to you? What separates you from your competition? What's your form of vibe? What is your true value proposition? Is it something intangible like the vibe? If you need some help figuring out your value proposition, 
I highly recommend that you use the Value Proposition Canvas. This was designed by the Strategizer Group. They have a book series and a website. And again, I'll have a link in the show notes to one of these canvases. They have a whole series of books that are really great that can help you flesh out your ideas of your value proposition and how that works into your whole business. If you feel like you need some help developing your value proposition, well, guess what? I love helping people with that. You can book a strategy session with me and we can dive deep into that. But today to further discuss this important topic of value proposition with me is my guest, Lisa Princick, who is the host of the Scaling Deep podcast. Besides hosting a podcast, Lisa is a business strategist who focuses on clients who want to generate recurring revenue through membership sites. So if you've ever thought about having a membership, oh my, you need to contact Lisa. Lisa runs an online community called the Membership Lounge, where she offers ongoing support to her clients. Cool, right? Lisa is also the brainchild and organizer of an upcoming free online event called the Profitable Membership Summit, which will feature amazing speakers, including Nikki Rausch, who was on our podcast on episode 32. The summit is coming up. Depending on when you're listening to this, it's being held February 23rd through the 26th, 2021. And you can sign up for the summit through the link in the show notes. Okay, are you ready to go deeper into the topic of value proposition? All right. Here is my conversation with Lisa Princick. Lisa, thank you so much for being on Get the Balance Right podcast. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. This is exciting. You are what I would call a triple threat, a mom, a podcast host, and an entrepreneur. For the people in the audience that don't know who you are, beyond those labels, can you tell a little bit about yourself? Okay, so that is a lot, isn't it? Yes, I am a mom and I am an entrepreneur. How long have you been a mom? My son is nine. I only have one. It gives me a little bit more flexibility to be less of a manager and more just of a little buddy to a really cool dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've got cats. What I do is I'm a business strategist. And I would say I mostly help people design their ideal business. Today's topic is going to be one of my favorites, which is a value proposition. As an entrepreneur, it can be such a struggle to figure this out, this value proposition. But it's one of the most important elements of a business. Just so that we're all on the same page, can you explain what you mean by value proposition? It's the foundation of why we would be in business. It's the container for what is the value? What do people want? What do they get out of buying it? And how much is it worth to them? So it really is the container of that sort of DNA of our businesses. And that's why we need to work really hard to figure out what that is. And then the unique part that often people will say the unique value proposition or the unique selling proposition really comes down to the fact that you can have a value proposition, but if it is exactly the same as everyone else, then it won't stand out. And you really just are competing completely on price. Some people have a value proposition and they don't know how to articulate it. It doesn't matter. Think of like a service provider in a town, like you could be a builder or a plumber or an electrician. Those are the kinds of things that you think, okay, they're just this skill set, but they actually have a value proposition. Some may be more efficient, some may be more friendly, and some might have better results that they get consistently. And that helps people understand why to choose one service provider over the other. So really, it just contains all that information. That makes sense 
for service businesses, and I know that service businesses, they might have a productized service, but for people that have a tangible item that they're selling, how does the value proposition kind of work with that? Tangible product or even a tangible service, say a website, you're still buying a product to fit a need or to fulfill a desire, or if it's a fancy car, because someone's like really thinks that they're going to just love getting in their car every single day. It's helping them feel something. It's about how does it make them feel? How does it take away their problem? Is it just a car in general and they didn't have one before and now they actually get around to more things and enables them to have a better job because they can go farther? There's all kinds of ways to look at it. So it really is though, where does it help you get to? And a product is no different than a service really in terms of the outcome it can provide. When someone has a service that is so much like somebody else, so let's just say they are a web designer and they're trying to figure out what their unique value proposition is is how do you help clients with that? If you want to differentiate yourself from price, what are some different ways that you can go about doing that? Okay, so that is where it gets complex. And this is what people really struggle with because if you are the service provider, you can create different outcomes. You could be a web designer and it could be very obvious that some of the designs look different than other people's designs and you have a certain style and it appeals to a type of person like a professional versus a clothing brand or something that's going to have a different look and feel. When you're a service provider that's less of a tangible thing, you're really talking about yourself and you're trying to figure out what's unique and interesting about you. And that is, I think, where it gets really challenging is that we can't often see the uniqueness in ourselves because we're so used to ourselves that we're not that interesting to us anymore. And what those important pieces are that do differentiate that other people may gravitate towards. The other thing that is the other half of the value proposition is the who do you serve and how do you communicate to them? And that's the part where it's not about you. It's actually about them and how you express how you serve them and what you may do for them. Because For example, if you are a web designer who is helping people create a pretty site, that's really different than helping you capture more leads and get more sales. That's a standing for something that's a different outcome. And what that shows to people that you have a stronger awareness of what the purpose of the website is for and therefore he'd be very attractive to a certain kind of brand and client. And I think that's where client attractiveness does really come in. And it's about how you position yourself, meaning this is my personality. These are my standards. Here's how I go about things. Here are some of my values. And then there's the, but here's ultimately what I know you care about and what I will do for you. And I think that's where that two-sided value proposition really comes into play. And that's what makes the difference in creating more of a standout brand versus just doing this thing. And that's when you can start to try charge more because you are providing something that you're more committed to getting result from. Hey there, this is Heather. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, if you wouldn't mind, please hit the subscribe button now. That way you'll never miss an episode. All right, now back to the podcast. And what do you think the importance of finding a niche is in this whole value proposition? It's absolutely essential. That's what I believe, but I don't think it's always easy to get to. That's where we have to start to figure out how to niche down in a way that feels authentic. For example, someone who's in accounting, that's an obvious, here's what we do. Someone who is another kind of professional service or even a web designer, here's what we do. The rest of it gets a little fuzzy for coaches and consultants, course creators, people who just love certain types of things, cooking, 
training, nutrition, you name it. That's when everyone's our competition. And that's where we have to start to figure out like, how do I niche authentically so that I really am capable of delivering something of value, but is clear enough that people are like, okay, of course I'd want to work with someone who helps young women start building healthy cooking habits outside of university than working with someone that's 30 years older who has certain health problems. It's obvious you would know who to choose depending on which category you're in. It's a critical actually. It's even more critical online because there's like literally millions of competitors. If you're not geographically located, you don't have to just be the best of a few. You have to be unique to a few. I suggest if you're going to start a business and you want to start making money sooner, make it as clear as possible and as narrow as possible online. Besides niching, as far as narrowing down your focus, especially for service providers, do you feel like they should have one offer and maybe that offer has perhaps three different tiers to that offer? What do you recommend for people that are a service-based business? So I think it starts with outcome. I would suggest having one outcome. That's where I would begin because the offers should come after the outcome. I always ask my clients, and this is my magical question that sets the tone for everything we do. Where do you want to get people? Where do you want to take your clients? Where are they at when they start working with you? And where can you get them and feel like you've given them amazing value, change their lives? And then And that comes from how do you price that and how long does it take? Those are the details that come out later, but it's about where do you want to take them, right? Yeah. So what you were talking about is actually starting from the end and working back. I think this is a big struggle for people to try to figure out, uh, especially when different clients have different needs and then the scope might change. It's really hard to cookie cutter certain things. I know what you mean. Like I wasn't able to sell a course or program that required everyone being at the same place at the same time with the same business model because that's not my clients. And that's why I really struggled with it because there wasn't anything I could launch. Every time I tried to launch something, I was like, oh, I'm in a program until January, get back to me then, or, oh, I can't this round, or, oh, I'm working this, or the people I would ask would not have enough in common with the other people. So I I never really felt right. And I'm like, okay, how about a drop-in membership lounge, which is coaching-based every month with other drop-in office hours, pretty much, and then hot seats available. So it's going to give them that I'm struggling. I need to talk to someone. I need somebody to look at this. I don't know if it's good enough. Like confidence boosting. That's what I need to give people. And it doesn't require everyone to start at the same time for everyone to show up. And that's how I priced it. So instead of pricing it for a higher amount, you'd get your value out of it for three sessions if it was like a private coaching session. And some of them might show up and there's no one else on the call. It's challenging. And until you have the audience of people who are all there waiting for something at the same time, try to figure out how to productize that service so that you still are selling a course or a program, but it's to one person at a time. Now your membership, that is a great segue into this other thing that you were talking about on one of your podcasts about you moving into helping people with memberships. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. I'd love to. After all this struggle of figuring out how could I niche, it hit me after a friend was pushing me and saying, why don't you become a launch strategist? I do not want to do that. It's technical. There's all these reasons why I don't like launching things, even though I do guiding people, but I definitely don't see myself as that kind of OBM person. She kept pushing me and pushing me. And eventually somehow in that thought process, I thought, what if I just focused on memberships? And I realized after some quick research that there was not a lot out there in the world. There's 
a lot of memberships, but there's not a lot of voices talking about them. There's not a lot of really good content. Everyone's obsessed with membership sites. Yes, it helps get an engaged site, but like, what about membership programs that don't even require community? It doesn't have to be the way we think of it. Think about all the people teaching course creation. There's not a lot of people teaching memberships. Like I found two. I've heard of another coach, but that's it. That's three in the world. As far as I could see, it wasn't only an empty space in the world. I realized that, wow, that is fun because I love the flexibility of choose your own adventure and choose your own business model. And I want people to realize that they can design the exact membership model that they want with you name your criteria. You can lock people in for a year. You can charge a thousand dollars a month if you want to. You can figure out your model and provide access to people when they need it at a lower cost or at a lower commitment or whatever it is and really serve people and use it based on your personality. You could have more of an education style one where it's mostly training or you could provide templates to people every month because you love doing creative stuff in the background. I thought I could really go with that because it's not that different than what I already do. But whenever I tell people, oh, I'm a membership growth strategist, they just look at me and they're like, I totally get what you do and I'm going to have to call you. That's very different than saying business strategist. So I just made one slight change in focus without really changing what I did. And all of a sudden, there's more clarity and there's more ability to remember, oh, I'm starting a membership. I'll need to pay attention. So that was a really fun move. And I tested it and I got a lot of feedback. I got a couple clients right away after posting a blog post. I was like, okay, I've got my validation. This is going to work. And I went for it. Now I'm hosting a summit on memberships called the Profitable Membership Summit, which is a really great kind of launch party to a new focus area. And it's a really great positioning opportunity for me to say, hey, I'm bringing together all this information and content. And therefore, you can think of me when it comes to growing your membership program. When is the summit going to be? It's February 23rd to 26th, and it's free to attend. Oh, wow. Yeah, you can get more access, but to actually show up and see the presentations and listen to the presenter, they'll be there in the chat box. Yeah, that's totally free. Awesome. Okay, we'll have that in the show notes. When it comes to memberships, obviously, from a profitability stance, having a recurring revenue is golden, but it seems there's an oversaturation of membership sites. As far as the value proposition goes, where do you see this going with membership sites? We're actually getting used to memberships. We're paying for all our services and memberships now. We pay for our music and our videos and everything we do is now a membership and recurring revenues. And I also think that people who like to spend don't really want to spend 10 grand every time they make a purchase. But imagine if you spent that over time. We love buying things, but we don't actually love spending tons of money on things. Imagine, oh, I can only pay 50 bucks or 100 or 400 right now instead of thousands. I think people feel really good about it. Here's my whole take. I think you can do it in a different way. Like my membership, the one year commitment is $2,000. So it's definitely not super high end, but it's also not really low. A lot of people who start are like, oh, founding members, $500 life time access. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to charge my value and it's going to be lower value. I've got five to start because I have a small list. To me, it was more about creating it and creating the space for it. I'm so excited. And actually, that's a great amount of people to play with because they're all super keen and they're all going to show up. It allows me to then work out the model that's going to suit them the most and figure out what they want. It's also people who I can test ideas and really get information from on a more intimate basis. And I'm doing it my way. So it's not a low price ticket thing. And I don't want to be worried about churn. So that's why everyone's in it for a year so far. That's great. And that helps you figure out what your value proposition is because it gives you flexibility to play around with things. I think that's the value prop. I'm very clear on that, but it's more about 
not underselling, like imagine, so if I'd had five people in it and I charged like $50 a month or 500, do would I really want to serve them for the year knowing that, yes, mm-hmm. I'll get more people in it, but it'll be gradual. So I had to do it in a way that I knew I could show up and be like in love with it. Because <laughs> that's the key to a successful membership is being in love with it. Because I think when people are like, oh, it's so much work and there's so much churn and they're stressing out about numbers and drop-offs and all that. Yeah, because a lot of times you hear about people saying, oh, you should just start a membership and just charge people a couple of dollars. Uh, what? It's like, how many people do you have to have in that group before it'd even be worth your time? Oh, I know. And the commitment to showing up is low. And people, once they don't use something for a while, are going to leave eventually because they're going to question at some point, why am I paying this? And I think it has to be in line with your services. Why would anyone charge five grand, 10 grand for a program and then charge like $29 for a membership? Unless they had a massive list and they were going for volume. And this is the other thing, unless their membership was almost like their visibility to sell bigger ticket things. But then you also have to have the audience to get that in the first place. So that's like the chicken or egg. It's okay. If you have an audience and maybe you have a large email list and maybe you have a huge podcast following, then a lot of those people will come on board and they'll be fans and then you can sell to them more directly. But if you don't, and you do have higher ticket programs, you might as well offer a higher ticket service because you're not going to get the volume. But you can't get the volume if you don't have the audience. Like you just can't, like it just won't happen. So when someone says like, oh, start a membership, it's yeah, that might be nice. But I could have sold a set of five people the same thing as I've sold five people at a different price point. And why would I have gone less? Because I don't think it would have brought on more people. Yeah. Does that like make sense? Because my audience isn't primed to buy cheap, like not cheap, but like really low cost things. That's not why they're on my list. Yeah. Unless you have this massive list, it doesn't really make any sense to devalue yourself like that. Yeah. It also depends on the goals of the business. What kind of ideal business model do you have? How do you ultimately want to like work with people and what really satisfies you in your business? Lisa, this has been really fascinating. Can you tell the folks how they can work with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at scalingdeep.com. I do still sell private one-on-one coaching, like these 30-day business design with the membership lounge (laughs) or just the membership lounge on its own. And I also have a podcast, Scaling Deep. So those are both there on my website and easy to book a consult. I've got a couple different places to find me only because I have this summit coming up. I have handpicked my speakers. I love them all. They're all high integrity people. If you really are interested in membership as something that you think might be in your future, you can check that out at ProfitableMembershipSummit.com. Awesome. And where can people find you on social media? Are you on LinkedIn or Instagram? Where do you hang out? I am on Instagram. DM me as much as you want, but I'm also on LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been really fun. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Hey, this is Heather. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you found value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a rating on iTunes or just simply tell a friend about it. And if you're interested in learning more about my profit advising and coaching, please set up a discovery call by using the link in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much and see you next time.